0: Welcome to The Mystic and the Skeptic. In this week's show, we have a conversation going regarding both black Hebrew Israelites. So we're here with Quentin Lewis. Tell us a little bit about your background,
1: your organization, Ruach Echad. 24 years old. Uh, we're based out of Atlanta, Georgia. I have a business that's called uh, Ruach Echad. And uh, Ruach Echad, is, uh, it's Hebrew for one spirit. Um, the meaning and the, just the inspiration behind the name was... We, we were starting off doing vegetable gardens. I was really heavy into vegetable garden and just producing for yourself on that, on those levels. And when I was studying just you know, producing food and gardens, I was coming to the realization that you know, everything is connected you know from the cosmos to the soil to the animals to everything. You know? So that's what the, where the name came from. and then it kind of the business kind of evolved to gardening landscape business and we do landscape design and all those things.
0: Tell us about your involvement with the Hebrew-Israelite community and if you know a little bit of their backgrounds for people that are not familiar
1: with them. Okay. So, yeah, um, I was right... Actually, I got into Hebrew-Israelite culture around... I was 12. Around 12, my father, he was always a person that was just searching and searching, you know, for for information. Because he he was a Muslim at first. Um, My mom was Christian, Christian, as most people are. Um, But my dad was always like... like a rebel you know always kind of like a rebel type and he's always researching so he, he started listening to certain things on the radio and um getting with people and really we moved down to atlanta because atlanta has like a lot of culture a lot of a lot of people down there and um so we start getting involved with the hebrew israelites it was actually one day i was about to make some breakfast and uh, he was like don't do that like it's the sabbath today so that's the thing about yeah the hebrew israelites is a very strong community um we we probably get a lot of negative backlash in that communities because you know sometimes if I tell a person I'm Hebrew like, they'd be like, Oh, you like the ones in New York, the ones that stand on the corner and be bashing, you know, certain people, particularly white people and things like that. And I'm that's not what I am. I'm I'm a person that's all about life and, and unity with people regardless of whatever your color is because that's that's really I think that's really mundane to reduce a person to the color of your skin or whatnot, because a person a knowledge can come from anywhere. Doesn't even matter if a person was had a color of a rainbow in their face. It really doesn't even matter, you know. But the Hebrew Israelite community is actually—I um, have a lot of roots in that. Um, like I said, I was brought up through twelve through now, you know, practicing uh, the Hebrew Israelite way. And like I said, we—it's—I think it's like a new generation of younger people that are coming up within the community because a lot, a lot of the people in our Hebrew Israelite community are divided on on certain teachings and like certain basic stuff, like. You know, when a day starts, uh, do they read the New Testament, the Old Testament, you know? But at the end of the day, it should all be about, you know, producing and, you know, just trying to make a better life for us and just trying to get better, really, and don't let none of that little stuff just get us in the way from coming together.
0: Are there any connections between Hebrew Israelites and Rastafarians? And
1: what's your relationship to the Jewish community in the U.S.? Well, Rastafarians and and, and Hebrew Israelites... I think I think there is a, a commonality in between the both because um, if I'm not mistaken, they I think they they reference a lot about the Lion of Judah and things like that, and we know that the, the, you know Judah um, or Yehuda um, is definitely one of the, one of the one of the sons of the, of the twelve tribes. So it's a lot of it's a lot of commonality as far as the teachings. I know that they don't I know that they don't eat pork or shellfish and things like that. So a lot of the customs and ways the same i mean we recognize those as our people too Like, i think they they went through a lot as well they just in another part of the world you know they honestly i think that they um they practice like the nazarite vow by not cutting the hair i think that's what that is so it's that's all in the script. i think that's in numbers or leviticus one of those it's a lot of commonality and then as far as the jewish community that's another thing that i've grew up in um Precisely. Would
0: you be open to being part of an intentional community where people didn't feel the same way you did about spirituality? Because that's, that's one of the challenges for some people who are very devout. It's like, can you thrive as a spiritual person among people from other faiths, of no faith at all, or people who are eclectic in their views? Um, you know, on intentionalcommunity.org, there's all of these people who, who want to like gather in clusters of like minded uh, religion. But nowadays, it's so hard to get people to agree on anything. Mm -hmm. So would you be open to being with just good people that are taking care of their families and and their environment?
1: Absolutely. I mean, like I said, it seems to me that we all will have the same goals at the end of the day. Even if we have just a little bit of differences of what we believe or whatnot, like five plus four is nine, but another person believes that six plus three is nine. Like At the end of the day, it's still the same goal. Like I definitely wouldn't have a problem with that. You can learn this knowledge comes from everyone. I think I, it was a quote that was on that was on um our congregation wall. right when you walk in, it was like a wise man is someone who learns from everyone. You know, so you have you can't be closed minded, you know, a fool rejects knowledge. You know, knowledge comes from everywhere. And even through this whole synergy conference, like I've been hearing so much knowledge from everybody that you'd be a fool to close your ear just because that person doesn't believe like you do
0: Now we have Julian Vaughn, who's going to be sharing about his experience converting to Judaism and how, um, the, the group that the Hebrew Israelites usually insult or attack is the historical Jewish people. And it's always the sense of, uh, the Jewish people are closed or racist or they don't want new members or they don't accept people who don't look like them. So I would like to, for you to share your experience and how what has it been like and are the stereotypes and the ongoing attacks uh justified in any way and to me it seemed that these uh fellows who were um attacking verbally everybody had a very little understanding of or knowledge of the the historic jewish people and they were just um attacking them for the sake of attacking them and especially it's all connected to some type of counter racism, but it just, um, we we've been trying to understand their reasoning and we can't really, uh, grasp it, but we want to see, um, in your experience, um, ha- have you felt, um, discriminated, ignored or not, um, as a full member of the Jewish people by joining them later in life?
2: Uh, personally, no. Um, I have only had two encounters uh, and, you know, I travel a lot. um, So I've been to a lot of different uh, Orthodox communities and I've only had two encounters. uh, Both were individuals, never a community um, where I was treated with, uh, I wouldn't say uh, any kind of discrimination or prejudice, but with uh, suspicion. Uh, the, The first encounter was, really shortly after my conversion, after I had met with the Beit Din. Um, and uh, there was a person in that particular community who uh, did not, really didn't support uh, two of the rabbis on that Beit Din. And so he was uh, sort of opposed to anything that they did, including their conversions. And I was over at his house for a dinner one time, and he covered the wine and treated me as if I was a, a Gentile. And, uh, <laughs> But a few months later, even he resolved beyond that. And actually, we're good friends now. Um, the only other time, I really can't blame the rabbi. Um, I had a, a Muslim guy that I had met in Orlando. And it was, I was there, and I was sort of stranded. And it was Friday afternoon, and all of my plans had fallen through the floor. And I was really trying to find somewhere for Shabbat. And with no notice, you know, that's really difficult. And so I had emailed all of the Chabads and all of the hospitality services in Orlando. And of course, I didn't really expect a response. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon. And finally, I was sitting on this computer, public computer, and this Muslim guy sat next to me. And he looked over and saw this Hebrew on my screen. And he was like, uh, you, you Jewish. And, you know, he was very, very distinctly uh, Islamic. He had the kufi which is like our kippah, um, but comes down further. um, And he had that that Islamic style, uh, that Arabic style beard. Um, And and I said, yeah, I'm Jewish. And we got into a conversation about uh, politics and religion. And everybody in the room was stunned that we weren't fighting with each other, but we were listening to each other uh, intently. And I told him what my issue was. And he was like, oh, I know where the Chabad house is. I can give you a ride. And so he gave me a, a ride to the Chabad house and I pulled up into the driveway as the rabbi was outside getting something from his van, or actually he was washing his van before Shabbat started. And that was the only other time anybody ever treated me with any kind of skepticism or suspicion. And I can completely understand because he saw me pull up, this guy dressed up like a Jew getting out of the car of a guy who's clearly a Muslim. <laughs> so it seemed very uh, off-putting at first, I guess. Um, but as soon as he called my friends in Pittsburgh... Uh, everything was cleared up and, and I was able to stay there. Um, I have uh, encountered Black Hebrew Israelites um, from both ends of the spectrum. There are, are BHI people who are recognizing the legitimacy of Orthodox Judaism and seeking a relationship with mainstream Judaism. And then there are the extremists that are making the biggest uh, amount of noise in places like Philadelphia and New York city where I'm familiar with them. Um, And uh, they tend to be, I wouldn't say counter racial. They are very, and I know the academic term racism has changed, but they are very, very openly prejudiced. Um, They, Basically, say that all Ashkenazi Jews are fake. And myself, I'm actually Sephardic, but I don't look Sephardic. Um, My dad's side we're Welsh, and my mom's side we're Italian and Greek, and uh, there's some Irish in there. And so, I for some, if I sit in the sun long, I tan and I get darker. But I have very sensitive eyes, and I get migraines, so I stay inside most of the time. And so, I'm pretty pale. So most people think I'm Ashkenazi, but I'm actually Sephardi. Um, But I say that because in my in my uh, debates with some Black Hebrew Israelites, uh, I've heard a lot of their their propaganda, their spiel, and it generally goes along the lines of the only true Jews are Black Jews from Africa, and they try to cite prophecies about. Uh, when Israel is punished, it will return to Egypt and things like that. The thing is, those things did happen 2,000 years ago. The Jewish people at the end of the, or at the end of the last era and the beginning of this era, they were scattered, and they did return into slavery, and things were bad, Um, but my most Precise evidence against this this propaganda is the fact that the Kohen marker, it, the, which is a genetic marker that can identify a person of uh, of ancestry of uh, with Aaron, the high priest, um, that marker is found amongst Ashkenazi Kohanim, it's found amongst uh, Mizrahi, uh, Iraqi Jews, it's found among Yemenite Jews, it's found in Ethiopian Jews, and it's found in Sephardic Jews. And it proves that there is still a genealogical and uh, biological bloodline that is continued on regardless of which Place they end up. As far as your your initial question, though, I personally have not encountered any kind of uh, of hostility from the, the mainstream Jewish community. Um, if anything, been more hostility from groups like uh, the the Hebrew Roots movement or Black Hebrew Israelites.
0: You mentioned um, being considered a goyim or, or a goy uh, by this one particular Orthodox Jew. Um, I was just watching a documentary where they show. Richard Spencer and some other guy right before the Charlottesville, um, um, scandal or, or conflict. And they, they are screaming, um, the Goyim no, And this idea that the, the Gentiles, the non Jews are aware of the schemes of the Jews. Can you tell us about the theological and historical, uh, term, uh, Goy or Goyim and how that is applied and how some people might use it as, as, um, it's a distinction or a way to differentiate themselves from the non-Jews?
2: Yeah. So the, the term goy is the Hebrew word for nation. And uh, in fact, in some passages in scripture, Israel itself is, is referred to in, by the term goy. Generally, when uh, Jewish people use the word goyim or goy, goyim is plural, um, they generally are referring to the nations outside of Israel. And historically in writings like the talmud this was uh, a distinction uh, from israel the worshipers of the one true god and the worshipers of false gods and idols um and so the like when you read ancient writings and ancient rabbinical writings that you, when they use the term goy it's generally in a very negative light um nachman of breslov of blessed memory the the uh founder of the breslover um um He actually said at the beginning of um, of trying um, a total blank um, one of his books. Sorry, I can't remember at the moment. Um, he said uh, when we use the word "goy," it's important that people understand that we were talking about the pagan cultures of thousands of years ago. This term is no longer applied the same way now. Now it's only a distinction between Jew and non-Jew. Now the majority of the world has been exposed to the oneness of Hashem, the oneness of God, and therefore the majority of the world in the eyes of most Orthodox Jews is no longer pagan. Most Jews wouldn't say that they had a, a accurate understanding of God, but at the very least, they understand that God is one and only one true God is, is in existence, um, and transcends existence. Um, so I, I think that a lot of times when these anti-Semitic groups try to use the, 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 use the word goy, um, they're trying to use it in an inflammatory way uh, based on texts like the Talmud, where it places them in a, places the goyim in a very negative light. But again, that's because they were the pagan cultures of the day. These were cultures that sacrificed their children. These were cultures that had, uh, you know, temple prostitutes. These were cultures that did all kinds of things, you know, they, they would uh, defecate in front of idols. There was all kinds of strange practices that are clearly opposed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.
0: Well, how is it applied now? Is it, uh, is it true that um, the religious Jews want nothing to do with non-Jews or that they, uh, they use them or abuse them because they don't see them as real people or things like that, that, you know, stereotypes or um defamatory ideas that they get thrown around regarding um what judaism feels about people who are not part of it
2: you know i i can't speak for every individual jew in the world but i know that speaking for orthodox judaism for mainstream judaism this is simply not the case um the idea of israel being the chosen people of god is not that we are more prized or more cherished or more loved it's that we are chosen for a task and that task is to show the love and the oneness of hashem to the world if we go around hating people because they're not jewish then we will completely fail that mission there there is for sure an element within judaism a minority that uh, sees itself in a elitist light. Um, I have had very little to do with those people and had very little exposure to them. Um, I have met them in larger communities like New York or New Jersey or Pittsburgh, but um, they they don't even represent one percent of the population in those places. Um, it's like a person here or there that I run into on a you know afternoon on Shabbat for lunch and conversation comes up and this turns out to be the view of some individual. Um, I have actually uh, brought a number of my non-Jewish friends to various Jewish functions, uh, including high holiday functions, so that they would be able to see what it is we do, what it is we believe how we practice. And so they would see that these ideas that Jews are insulated and and separated from the rest of the world aren't entirely true. We do uh, separate ourselves from the world, but it's not the kind of separation that says we want nothing to do with. It's the kind of separation that that the word sanctified is, is a better word, you know, to be separated for a purpose. It's not that uh, we want nothing to do with the world it 's that we are trying to do something very holy and we 're trying to dedicate our lives to the Torah and to Hashem and you know so we 're not going to go out to the bar and get drunk or the nightclubs and and things like that and that 's not to say jews don 't do some of those things, um, including orthodox jews um, but in general uh, i don 't know i 'm not personally friends with any jewish person that sees uh the non-jew as inferior to the jew
0: what do you know about um black jewish relations and i know there's been some lately there's been some conflict at crown It seems like every couple of years there is um uh, it almost seems like hazing or um like initiation to go beat up a jew and then there's also um there's a movie where after uh Reverend schneerson's uh, vehicle ran over a child there was a lot of tension between the african-american community and the hasidim of crown heights and it led to um people trying to make peace among both groups but there's also uh, a term that is used for for black people in in hebrew or yiddish that some people have also found as offensive are you familiar with that stuff
2: i'm not sure what the term is i'm not uh, real familiar with a whole lot of yiddish just what i 've heard here and there uh, it 's never been something that interested in me uh, but um, the I am familiar with the some of the, the tensions I find it very skewed. Um, you know Jewish people have fought discrimination, including for civil rights of African American peoples um, for as long as you know people can remember that that kind of fight has been going on. The, you know, very important organizations like the NLACP, um, the Anti-Defamation League, of course, which is very Jewish. um, All of these have had major Jewish influence and funding. Um, As far as uh, what happens in in Crown Heights, I don't know what's going on recently. I haven't really been keeping up. I know that uh, there's there are a lot of actual black Jews. Um, I remember when I was going through, uh, my, my conversion, there was a gentleman at the Chabad, the yeshiva, where I would go to services and, um, very large black guy. Um, I, I remember his name was Yosef, but I don't remember his, his, uh, his legal name. Um, fairly wealthy guy, very friendly. Um, and nobody ever gave him a hard time. Um, I've met numerous Ethiopian Jews, uh, never seen them treated with any kind of disdain or, or, or anything like that. Um, now I do know from them themselves, there is a racist element within, like I said, within the minority of Judaism, just like the, the, the whole world in general. Um, I know that especially in uh, Israel, there's been uh, issues with really non-ashkenazi jews um from any country being given the same treatment as the ashkenazi jews who are escaping hitler um or not really escaping but leaving europe but what, what was what happened recently in crown heights
0: <coughs> well i looked up the the term is schwartz which means black in in um hebrew i believe or um, in yiddish and then it's a it's actually a it's in german so it's a german last name and it becomes a nickname for someone who's black so such a, you would have it in spanish um i saw that there was um three african american uh, young men beat up an elderly uh jewish man and i've seen that through the years where there's an attack or some type of um situation where where a defenseless uh, religious person gets beat up by, by some youngsters. Um, and, you know, that doesn't help with the race relations. But the one thing that people don't know is that uh, Crown Heights, uh, and like uh, some of the areas of Houston where the Orthodox Jews live, are areas that are very poor and filled with crime. So maybe it doesn't have to do specifically with beating up a religious Jew, but it has to do with just people who are criminally minded um, bothering uh, people who are not so, but it always becomes like racially um, charged because of uh, the clear distinction between the two groups.
2: Maybe I know you know anti-Semitism. It it seems to rise and fall in waves, and uh, you know I'm I'm originally from Pittsburgh, where of course not too long ago there was a an absolutely uh, tragic and horrifying massacre uh synagogue there um i i don't think that without uh investigating carefully we can really say if it was racially motivated or if it was just crime but i do think that uh just as much as there are anti-semitic white people there are anti-semitic black people and there are anti-semitic asians and there's anti-semitic anti-semitic uh hispanic people it doesn't have anything to do with race it has to do with ideology i think these people um are often misled by propaganda and they get a hold of something like uh, uh, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion or some other garbage that was written by an anti Semite and, and they think that it's real and it's legit and don't realize it's propaganda and it fuels the fire. There's plenty of anti or of uh, not anti but of uh, conspiracy theorists out there that blame the Jews for everything and um, you know it, it doesn't take a whole lot. For somebody to stumble across uh, some anti-Semitic propaganda that blames the Jews for all kinds of problems in the world. I think that those ideologies are the real problem. I don't think it's a racial thing.
0: Well, it's strange that at this time, with, with all the racial tension, uh, Louis Farrakhan is making a comeback. And he's being seen as some type of a hero or someone who has stood up against um, the man or whoever for for a lot of years. So um, do you think that these um, black Hebrew Israelites are picking up ideas from Nation of Islam or other um, black power movements that are not trying to bring unity, but actually trying to create discord and conflict? And then there's a supersessionist aspect of it. that, with our previous guests, we were talking about how that is a, a symptom or... An issue within the hebrew roots messianic jewish perspectives where mm. they want to supplant the jews and claim that they're the real jews or the jews who believe in jesus are greater than the ones that don't and it is is do you see a connection with either one or the other uh with um these um nation of islam and, and black power uh ideas or is it more of a christian supersessionist idea through hebrew roots and messianics
2: um I think that the two have probably influenced each other um, in sort of a feedback loop. I know, you know, most Christians don't know much about the teachings of the Nation of Islam, and most uh, members of the Nation of Islam don't really care about what the Christians teach. But my experience with people that were involved with the Nation of Islam is that they were usually Christian before they became members of the Nation of Islam. And uh, the only ones that I've ever met became Christians again, and so they left. And that's the only reason I've ever met anybody that was involved. Um, hearing them talk, um, especially Farrakhan, uh, you know, he's, he's not a stupid man by any means. He's, he's quite smart. Um, he is, uh, you know, trying to say that he has not advocated for violence, but he only does that when he's speaking publicly. Um, and then you catch recordings of him in small groups where he very clearly does say things uh, that are very inflammatory. um, I definitely see both in Islam and in Christianity. And I, bl- I see that that bled over into Messianic Judaism and the Hebrew roots movement very much. So the supersessionist ideology and, uh, that ideology and with Christian with Christianity, uh, you also have the whole layer of Jews killed Jesus. Um, there's, there's a lot of fuel to add to the flames of antisemitism. Um, my, uh, one of my greatest personal triumphs, I believe, in my life was uh, I was living in, a, in a, one of those uh, cheap hotels where you can rent by the month, and um, across the hall from me was a guy that was all tatted up with swastikas, and uh, I came home one day, and I noticed that all of my Judaica in my room had been vandalized, stabbed, but not with a knife, just with a pen, like he broke in my room, saw a pen laying around, and just stabbed a bunch of stuff. And weeks after that, the gentleman in the in the uh, room directly under me passed away. And uh, myself and and this you neo-Nazi know, guy were actually the ones that were helping the hotel clean up all of this stuff. So we got to talking, and I said to him, "All of the things that you have been taught to hate about Jews, have you ever seen me do any of?" Them? And he said, "No." And I said, "So." how many other Jews have you ever even met? How many do you know? How many have you seen living in close proximity? And he was like, just you. And I was like, so why do you believe all of this propaganda, all of this this hate? And he stopped and he just looked at me and he said, you know, I don't don't really know. Eventually, we actually became friends, which is kind of crazy. A Jew, friends with a guy that's covered in swastikas. He does regret them, um, but uh, I don't know that he has been able to remove them or or not. Uh, I haven't talked to him in five years. Um, I should say we became friendly. Um, After I moved away, I didn't really keep in touch. Um, That experience was really groundbreaking for me because I realized that the hatred is baseless. It's based entirely on fabrications and lies. And I don't know what started it all you know, anti-Semitism has been around for thousands of years and, you know, predates Christianity. So we can't blame the Christians for it. And I, I don't know where its real root lies, but sometimes I just wonder if it's just because we know and serve the one true God and anybody that's opposed to that, that serves the other side, so to speak, is going to automatically hate us. But I don't really think that, the groups have a direct interaction. I do think the Nation of Islam is influenced directly by Christian doctrine of supersessionism, as well as the Islamic doctrine uh, that the Jews corrupted the, the Torah and all of that. Um, but uh, I don't think that it goes the other way. I think that it, it's just kind of, uh, it's interrelated. It's interwoven. It's a giant web of lies and hatred.
0: Well, what do you do when um, these Hebrew Israelites are claiming that they have the right understanding of God and that anybody who does not accept their doctrine is a pagan or an idolater. Because now you're dealing with uh, people who have sold themselves out to this concept of God and now you have competing concepts of God or competing people who worship the true God. So then can they face anti-Semitism discrimination as well? And, and what, what makes... Uh, traditional Jews distinctive as compared to groups like these?
2: I mean, mainstream Judaism sees it as uh, uh, so I'll, I'll give you a, a summary of, of what Rambam says. Um, Rambam says that, uh, referring to Islam, that they worship the one true God. Uh, referring to Christianity, they also worship the one true God. They just know him differently. Uh, a great example is uh, you have the family of the president. You know Donald Trump's family. They know him in a very intimate and close way. His cabinet know him in a in a very close way, but not as intimately. And then the population of the country know him. Definitely know him. We know who Donald Trump is. We know who the president of the United States is. Um, we may or may not like him. That's irrelevant. But we know who he is. But all of those those levels have a different understanding and relationship with that individual with God. It's, it's not that different. Um, What I find fascinating uh, is that Christian theology, um, you know, as it developed, came up with an idea of God that is very distinct from the Jewish idea. um, Of course, referring to the Trinity. Um, And uh, yet uh, Jesus in his own teaching said to uh, the woman at the well in uh, the gospel of John, I think, um, if I remember right, he said, we know who we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So here he admits that the Jews know who they worship. They know God. And so the idea that there should be some further revelation that would deviate from the Jewish understanding of God is is sort of uh, confusing to me. Uh, regarding what your your original question was um, about the the competing groups, theologies, I don't think Uh, from what I've studied about, uh, the, the black Hebrew Israelites, for example, that, uh, they have a different concept of God. I don't think that the nation of Islam or Islam itself have a different concept of God. They have a different, uh, approach in how to serve him. They, they definitely value certain qualities over others, um, uh, you know, we, we would hope that people would value love and kindness and charity more than, uh, judgment and wrath and vengeance. Um, but for some reason, uh, they, they choose the latter. I see, uh, a lot of, of not so much theological problems as, um, historical problems. They have a alternative history, uh, and so they reinterpret all of the text and try to, uh, filter mainstream Judaism out and substitute themselves, um, so that they can assert the authority that, uh, they think that that gives them. Um, I don't really understand, uh, why they, they try to do that other than hubris.
0: But this idea that, uh, focusing on cursing and insulting and, they, they not only use biblical curses, they use a lot of foul language. Then they, they personally attack people and humiliate people. Is it, like I said in the previous show, is it this idea of the Bible running amok where anybody can grab a Bible and interpret it any way they want and use it in destructive and negative ways? Or is it, um, poor understanding of, of the text? Or is it, like you said, manipulating the text to, push their particular agenda or or all of the above in your opinion?
2: Oh, it's definitely all of the above. Um, the, the, the use of curses and things like that. Um, there are what are called imprectory prayers, uh, in, in Psalms and Tehillim where David prayed against his enemies and, and prayed for God to avenge him and, and to crush the wicked and break their teeth and all these types of things. You know, I've heard different positions expressed in, in Judaism, uh, you know, due to various political issues um with uh nations that hate Israel, uh regarding should we pray such things. And uh, the the truth is in the Amidah we do pray something similar. Um the the Shemona Esra, the daily prayer, um the, the the cornerstone of the daily prayer, uh it does have a additional uh we call it a blessing, but uh, it's a prayer against heretics. It's a prayer against apostates. It's a prayer against those who would lead people into false belief, and and uh, those who would identify themselves as enemies of God. Um, but we're not getting specific with it. We're not praying that uh, you know an individual uh, be punished or anything like that. We're just basically praying for an end to sin and wickedness and lies and deceit, um, which includes arrogance and and uh, and narcissism and all of those types of things. And I feel like a lot of those traits uh, go hand in hand with a lot of these groups. You see their leaders, um, uh, grasp for power and then that seems to be all they want is more and more power. Um, I've seen it in, uh, but in congregational religions, uh, where people go to hear teachings or sermons or, or uh, lectures from you know, some uh, revered uh, leader of some sort, um, it, it's, it's very sad when a human tries to uh, supplant God and decides to interpret things on his own. Uh, you know, mainstream Judaism has done a lot to avoid that, but it's also not infallible. There certainly have been rabbis throughout the centuries, um, and I'm sure there's some alive today, uh, that are equally bad. Um, You know, I can think of one in the 17th century who created just an absolute catastrophe amongst Judaism. Uh, But I, I just, I really think that the problems that they have stem from a war internally against submitting to God. Uh, I remember in that conversation I had with the the Muslim guy who brought me to the Chabad house, I, I had mentioned to him, I also believe in Islam and he looked at me and he was like, what? And I'd actually said that to a few other Muslims while I was in Florida. And so this was something that has become sort of a running thing for me because I do believe in Islam. Islam means... Submission. And and as I understand it, nobody can be righteous. Nobody can be holy. Nobody can be connected to God unless they submit to God. The problem is that people have this idea that they know what God wants. And rather than seeking it out, studying it out, looking at history, looking at how it's been interpreted, looking at what has worked and what doesn't work, they try to push their own agenda through it. And so, yeah, it's like I said, it's all of the above. They're manipulating, they're misunderstanding, they're ignorant. It's, it's a mess. And uh, in the Torah, uh, towards the end of the reading cycle, in the book of Devarim, um, in uh, Deuteronomy, it says uh, several times, every man go- should, should not go after his own way. Every man should not do as he sees fit. Um, and this is interesting because, uh, you know, like groups, uh, that hate groups that identify with the, the Jewish scriptures and then try to hate on Judaism often ignore the fact that there was a judicial system set up by the Torah itself, allowing this authority structure to stay in place unbroken and you know that's not to say that there has never been a time that uh the authorities were wrong um but in fact in the talmud it even discusses when uh like certain things like when when the judges are wrong about some things and what to do in those cases um the 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 uh well yeah that's enough i guess <laughs>
0: Well, no, it's, I think it's important for you to share uh, how the ethno religious civilization of Judaism is structured. So then, these competing groups or these groups who are trying to supplant the Jewish people um, can be seen within um, the, the, the historical realities. Um, the previous guests and I were talking about how, um, you know, through conspiracy theories and Um, some type of, uh, scriptural gymnastics, uh, groups like the two house theory and the sacred namers and different groups are claiming to be either the original Israelites or a new, um, chosen group to some plant them or something. But it's always, um, with no, um, true roots or connection. It's always. This either hyper spirituality or some type of, um, random, um, theory, like the 12 tribes were scattered and then they found out that they were part of them. There's always some, some very strange path to, to connect back to ancient Israel. Um, how do you see modern, um, you know, people also need to know is that the modern state of Israel is different from the religious civilization of the Jewish people, but how is it all connected to the ancient Israelite religion and how does it stay and preserve its, uh, genuine, um, like connection and ongoing, uh, historical path from its original source?
2: Well, um, that's a really good question. Um, in the Torah, there's, the, there's uh, in, in last week's Parsha, actually, um, last week's portion was Yitro, and uh, Moses was struggling because he couldn't deal with all of the problems that everybody had. Uh, one man and, you know, 600,000 families, uh, that's a lot of potential issues to have to deal with. And so, uh, at the advice of his father-in-law, uh, Jethro, or Yitro, um, he established a judicial system and he chose elders from the tribes that became uh princes uh they were given judicial authority and you know going into the book of judges after the torah um, you see uh that this judicial authority continued um this judicial authority continued all the way up until the end of the the second temple period and a few centuries later when the when the judicial system, which was known as the Sanhedrin, um, was finally dissolved. Um, that system was preserved. It was originally, uh, kept through, uh, a vast system of oral tradition. Um, and this is not something that would be subject to, uh, the type of corruption that oral traditions often can be. Um, when they're told shared from small group to small group, this was because it was shared from very large group to a very large group. And so anybody that would deviate from what was already known would have many witnesses that would say, that is not what we believe. That is not what was attested to. That is not what we practice. Um, It was finally codified in text though. um, Because after the Romans destroyed the second temple, there was a fear in the, the aftermath of that, that, uh, being scattered, we might lose that solid authority. Um, and because we've been scattered and no longer having that central ability to share from large group to large group. Um, and so they wrote it down and this is what became ultimately the Talmud. Um, first was the Mishnah. The Mishnah was the, the original writings and rulings and debates. Um, and then the Gemara was added on uh, which is basically commentary and explanation for that. And um, the best that we have now is uh, rabbinic ruling, um, which follows in the same tradition, but has nowhere near the same weight. And so if you go to uh, Rabbi, you know, Shlomo Yitzaki <laughs> you know, uh, and uh you know, he's, he's a, you know, this is a, a, you know, a a fictitious Shlomo Yitzaki, I'm not referring to Rashi. Um, And he's the rabbi uh, down the street and you become part of his community. And, you know, he and the Beit Din, the, the judges of that community have certain customs in that community. Then you submit to those customs. If you move to another community and those customs are not pertinent there, or for that matter, they're contradicted there, uh, this is not a big issue. Um, this is because from community to community, they have autonomy. Um, the only time that this would be a problem is if they violated something that was already established by the great court, by the Sanhedrin. And so the Talmud carries much more weight than a local rabbi's ruling or a local Beit Din's ruling. Um, the problem with a lot of these, these uh I guess I could nickname them neo-Jewish movements um, is that they want to throw the Talmud away. They, they want nothing to do with it. They refuse to accept any authority from it at all. Personally, I found that most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, these people have never actually read the Talmud at all. Um, they might've read a, a passage from it or something and then uh, taken that passage far out of context in order to, you know, make it sound like it's an archaic and useless book. And uh, you know that's uh, part of the reason that there is this kind of uh, disdain for ancient authority. Um, as far as keeping uh, you know the the judicial authority of the Torah and the historical intact, um, it's just been a historical and very easily documented through archaeological findings and everything um, that this tradition this legislative tradition has remained unbroken um as to whether um you know a person sides with one opinion in the talmud or another that's a whole different subject um and this is very much similar to uh case law in the united states you know a person has uh a view that uh might not be popular and you know they go to the supreme court and they would have it overturned or whatever you know, these things are documented. You know, the Talmud is basically a a, a historical document that shows the legislative and judicial rulings of ancient Israel. And so right now it is kind of problematic because there hasn't been a Sanhedrin for, you know, going on 2000 years. Without that legislative body, without that judicial body existing, then there's a problem because we don't have the same authority for the entire community of, of Israel. And by Israel, I don't mean the secular nation. I mean the religious nation. You mentioned the the lost tribes. And um, what's interesting to me is some of them have actually shown uh, genetic markers that prove that they are, in fact, lost tribes. Um, but the thing is, they were lost, according to the Tanakh, because of idolatry and because they were given up into slavery to the Assyrians. And so the idea that they have any kind of legal standing to usurp the, the tribe of Judah, the Jews, is really absurd because they were lost. They were given over to paganism and idolatry. And only now are they beginning to find their way back. Speaking a little bit eschatologically, I think that this whole mess of people going through all of these things is actually part of them waking up and starting to realize who they are. Um, it's, uh, I guess, to be likened to birth pangs, right? Like birthing pangs.
0: When you say realizing who they are, are you talking about that they are the lost tribes who are lost into paganism or that, they, that they'll eventually come back to the Jewish fold?
2: That they'll eventually come back to the Jewish fold. Um, and there's, there's numerous prophecies in the, in the Navim, the books of the prophets that refer to the restoration of those tribes. And, uh, we do believe that, uh, there will be a messianic era and that when Mashiach comes, that they will be restored, that the 12 tribes will be brought back together and become one Israel again. Um, and I think that this perhaps is the birth pains of that happening. Uh, and there's confusion because there's cognitive dissonance going on. You know, people had, uh, you know, the majority of these people come from countries where they were either Muslim or Christian already at this point. And so they have all of these religious ideas that they know go very clearly against Judaism. And they're wrestling with what is and what isn't. and for a lot of people, it's very hard to challenge tradition. Uh, the implications for some of these people is, is very serious because uh, you know, in their minds, there's this eternal hell. And uh, if they're wrong, then they're going to go there. And if they're right, then does that mean that their grandparents and their great grandparents and their great, great grandparents all went to down? Um, and so it's, it's, it's more complicated than just, uh, you know, the arrogance that's involved with some of these people. Um, there's, there's so many facets to what's going on that we really can't put our finger on any one single thing. There's just too many variables. Um, I, I do definitely, though, believe that the leadership in these movements uh, should really take a more humble approach and look historically at who they are and where they stand um the it's just the idea that you can just uh come along and overthrow you know a 2000-year-old religious system uh referring to rabbinic Judaism because prior to 2000 years ago the Judaism that is today did not exist 2000 plus years ago there was uh, what was called the the sacrificial cult, the Jewish sacrificial cult. We had the Jewish sacrificial system set up, and uh, by cult, I don't mean you know like you know the the normal sense of the word in modern English. I mean uh, the, the academic sense where everybody is um, focused on the worship of one uh, one leader or one being, or which, in, of course, our case was is Hashem. Um, but while the temple existed uh, we did practice things differently and since the temple was destroyed rabbinic judaism took over and is not vastly different but there are differences uh you know we substitute prayer for the sacrifices but all of that is with the intention of returning to the to the temple once the temple is rebuilt May it be speedily done in our days
0: Julian something that we haven't touched in this interview is this idea of of following scripture only um, the one Hebrew Israelite friend of mine mentioned that that's what they do that they're they're the only ones who follow the Bible faithfully and and it would be without any form of interpretation other than their own, but um you know I saw this video that is both uh hilarious and disturbing of a of a man here in houston who was roasting a baby goat um after killing it and ready to celebrate passover and he was wearing his own set of priestly garments and claiming that that's what you should do according to the bible uh have you heard of of any black hebrew israelites uh, wanting to sacrifice animals or wanting to follow biblical religion to the t because Again, it goes back to being selective in what Bible verses they want to use and only portraying the biblical Israelites in a way that that benefits their current lifestyle. Uh, She did mention that they're trying to eat um, as kosher as possible and they're trying to keep the Sabbath. So at least there was some consistency there. But I've seen a lot of other groups that are not willing to go all the way with their... Uh, interpretation so it's actually consistent.
2: I have not heard of them uh, trying to return to the animal sacrifice system but that doesn't surprise me. Uh, The Samaritans do continue sacrifice uh, in Israel. Um, They're a very small number at this point in history. Um, They have always been a mixture of the lost tribes um, and Wherever they were taken into captivity. Um, there are major theological uh, differences between Samaritan Judaism and mainstream Judaism. Uh, let's not get into that right now. But um, as far as uh, sola scriptura, uh, the idea is actually automatically null and void because if you take scripture by itself, scripture refers to things outside of itself. Um, for example, uh, when it talks about sacrifice, it actually says you will do it in the way that you were commanded, but there's no place that shows what how it was commanded. What is the methodology that was commanded? That's not in scripture. Um, you know, there's there's other examples. Um, for example, uh, the uh, you know what does it mean? One of the most famous. What does it mean to keep Shabbat? What does it mean? to not work on Shabbat. Uh, Well, we know that picking up sticks and starting a fire are a problem because people were uh, punished in the Torah for that. But what's interesting is that part wasn't mentioned before the punishment was shown. And so the explanation had to pre-exist them getting punished. And the explanation that you will not do these particular things wasn't there before that. It's just all of a sudden this guy gets executed for picking up sticks to start a fire. Um, There's, there's other examples as well. Um, The, the, uh, the methodology in building a sukkah, what is a sukkah? How do you build a sukkah? You know, the, a lot of uh, uh, Hebrew roots, people think that they can go outside and put up a tent and stay in their tent during Sukkot. Um, A tent is not, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a booth, a tabernacle. Um, not the same thing. Um, you know, and there's, there's plenty of other examples. i just having a hard time coming up with them right now. Um, but if, if uh, any of the listeners would like to check it out, I would suggest Googling uh, evidence for the oral tradition of the Torah.
0: Is, has it been an hour yet? I think we have another a couple more minutes.
2: Uh, probably a couple more minutes, yeah.
0: Um, I'll ask you about the sukkah after the show. But um, So bottom line, um, should you see it as flattery that people are trying to imitate them or should they see it as threatening that people are replacing them or using their symbols and ideas in a, in inappropriate ways?
2: Uh, I think both are, are valid. Views and it depends entirely on the individual that you're talking about or the individual group that you're talking about. Uh, like I said at the beginning of this, I've met black Hebrew Israelites who are very pro mainstream Judaism to the point where they're actually going to the synagogues and learning from the rabbis and trying to assimilate into mainstream Judaism rather than uh, supplant it. Um, you know, I've also met plenty of Hebrew roots people that have come full circle out of Christianity into Orthodox Judaism, uh, rejecting all of the the Christian customs and beliefs. Um, And, you know, I've met people that are sprinkled all along the spectrum in between. Um, So I think that, you know, when we see groups that are trying to encourage supersessionist ideas, yeah, they are a threat. Um, We know that Hashem has our back. And so we're not going to lose to them, but, that doesn't mean we should sit by and do nothing, nothing. And uh, I think uh, providing evidence and uh, scholarship and uh, debate and teaching that shows that these people are completely wrong is is a great way to go about it. I think it's a war of ideas and not one that we should be engaging in physically by any means. Um, I know that a lot of the black Hebrew Israelite extremists are fairly physically violent. Uh, I've seen them accost people in New York. Um, But like I said, I've met others uh, here in Dallas, actually, uh, at the Kosher Tom Thumb here, um, that were very friendly to me and uh, two of my other friends that that were dressed very Chabad traditional. I think on the one hand, we can be flattered and appreciate that people are wanting to cling to the Torah. Because this is something that was prophesied. On the other hand, these people who want to take what we have and reinterpret it and act as though we're lying and we're false, when they've got it all figured out, we kind of need to very strategically put them in their place uh, academically and, to, and you know, through good, solid educational values.
0: Well, since this show is uh, broadcast in a very progressive station um I'm going to have to challenge you on the one thing that um a lot of religions and philosophies are dealing with right now and that's the postmodern perspective where um every uh idea is of equal weight how would you respond to to that type of perspective
2: so the thing is that that viewpoint is based on this uh, philosophy of relativism. And the the cornerstone of that philosophy is that there is no absolute truth. And so you have your perspective truth and I have my, my perspective truth and our subjective truths are the only truths that there really are. The problem is that when you say that the absolute truth is that there is no absolute truth, you've made an absolute claim that that is the absolute truth. In other words, the philosophy is self-referentially absurd and it destroys itself. The idea that that all paths are equal can derive from some other philosophical perspectives. Um, and rather than uh, dive into that deep abyss of, of uh, ideas, I'll just say um, all paths simply cannot be equal. Because when you look at what all paths teach, they don't all even come to a common ground. Uh, Some are very extreme and uh, very contradictory from other very extreme uh, viewpoints. And while you could probably make a case that there's more in common than there is uh, opposed, um, I think that that's an important place for people to begin and to dialogue. Um, There is a lot of evidence uh, for Uh, the Jewish faith, uh, archaeological evidence, philosophical, logical, mathematical. um, And, I mean, it would take four years of studying in the yeshiva to really have a solid grasp at just scratching the surface. Um, So I think that if people are open-minded and they study the Jewish scriptures and they study history and they look at things, they'll see that the God of Israel is the true God and there is no other God. Um, however um, when people are not exposed to that you know I I don't want to leave anybody with the idea that uh, you know Christian theology has often left which is you know if if you're not saved then you're damned Um, there's there's no such concept in Judaism it's more like if you are as good as you can be based on what you know, if you're drawn as close to God as you can be based on where, what you have come to know, that's how you'll be judged. And so I, I'm not saying that people shouldn't seek more, um, you know, because that's also something that we would be judged for. But um, the the idea that all paths are equal is just logically nonsense. And I know that's very, uh, very, harsh statement i guess um but uh you know when you have a system that says for example um that uh there is no god and there is no reality other than my imagination solipsism solipsism is not on the same path as you know the the philosophies that in Embrace ideas of compassion and unity with the rest of the world. Um, you know, they're, Like I said, you'll find common ground between all of them. But there's also going to be major points of deviation. And so they aren't all equal. Now, do I think that uh, Judaism is 100% correct? Believe it or not, no, I don't. I don't think we have 100% of the truth because Hashem is the truth. And being infinite, that means that we can't wrap our head around all of it. Um, I think that we have more of it than many. Uh, I would even say more than most. Um, but I don't know that we necessarily have all of it. And I don't think that we will until the Mashiach comes and establishes his kingdom.
0: Well, thank you, Julian, for being on the show. Um, I hope to ask you that question, but... Uh... It's always good to to hear from you and for you to shed light into uh, what traditional Judaism teaches uh, in contrast with this uh, new movement, which is getting a lot of attention in the media. And it's important for people to be aware of the differences and the similarities.